Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 279. Thank you for tuning in. I'm joined today by the wonderful Greg Jenner. Um, it's a great chat. He's a historian. He's absolutely fascinating. He's the the main kind of historian guy on the Horrible Histories team. So, and, and, and the new film comes out, R- Rotten Romans, July 26th. We talk about that a lot. Also, we're hoping... He's going to be able to get a little teaser up of his You're Dead to Me uh, podcast, which is um, on BBC Sounds, and it's fantastic. We talk about that as well. As some of you know, I'm now doing shorter intros so you can get uh, straight to the A, and I'll ramble on more in the outro to give you some information and stuff. But before I do, there's something I have to tell you about this specific episode. Now, I was lent use of the the, the wonderful Muddy Knees Studios Um and those guys are great. They do the Totally Football Show, all sorts of really good stuff. So big love for them. But it had been a while since I'd been in a proper like radio studio, since my XFM days and that. So when we started talking, Greg's mic was a little quieter than mine. And I had, so I turned it up and he still had the head. I was looking at the screen and it still seemed quiet. So I turned it up a bit more. And I did that for the first five minutes or so before realising... I was turning my own mic up. So not only was I already louder than him, I was progressively making myself more louder. Now, the beast, Buddy Peace, the greatest podcast producer in the West, um, he's actually more southeast these days, but anyway, um, he's, he's, he's tweaked it and made it work. After about five minutes, I realised my mistake and l- levelled it out. But I just w- wanted to warn you, it might feel a bit jumpy and weird because he's had to to raise bits and bring them down and as you know i get excited when like it's talking about history or anything like this so we're going back and forth and we interrupt every now and then so those bits get a bit confusing and lost but it's only for the first five minutes after that it is all good so i'm going to l- let you get on with the podcast obviously i'm going to mention patreon.com slash pip where you get extra episodes and poem of the month and speechdevelopmentrecords.com where you can buy uh, Distraction Pieces podcast merch and Scroobius Pit merch. But all that aside, I've already mentioned that Horror Histories is out um, the 26th of July and it looks fantastic. It's getting amazing reviews. The You're Dead to Me podcast, hopefully there's a teaser on, on, on BBC Sounds and there's more to come. Um, Dead Famous An Unexpected History of Celebrity from Bronze Age to Silver Screen is out in 2020 and his first book, um, A Million Years in a Day, it's fantastic we talk about all of that in the podcast though so this is the wonderful mr greg jenner If you're good, we'll jump in. Let's, yeah. I kind of, I kind of sat here um, because he said it recording, and it felt weird leaving the room with it recording. I felt I had to keep <laughs> keep it company, so I've been kind of sitting here awaiting your return. I did. I, I've got. I've had a little chat because my producer Buddy Peace will get the whole file. So whenever there's a gap, I feel I should talk to him in case he happens to be listening. So I was telling him where we are and. Um, and yeah, it's nice. I'm joined uh, today by Greg Jenner. How are you, sir? I'm all right. How are you? I'm great. It's it's exciting because we've been talking about lining 
this up for a while. And it feels like I say this all the time on the podcast, but I'm a big believer in in timing and the timing being right for, for everyone for yeah. to have exciting stuff to talk about. And this kind of, there was a few times we almost had it lined up before and it didn't work. And it feels like it's for the better because you've got so many great things yeah. going on at the moment. Yeah, so suddenly it was like, actually, I've got like three or four things I can tell you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that are happening, which is nice. So, yeah. Because that's the nightmare thing of anything in the entertainment industry is there are all, or, or there is always that long list of things that, there's the list of things you can talk about, there's the list of things you can't talk about, and there's the far longer list of things of you're not sure if you can or can't talk about, yes. so it's best to just not talk about because you don't want to get in trouble. Well, I'm not nearly as important as... Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't have any kind of studio bosses going, you can't mention that I'm, I'm just a bloke who does history stuff. Yeah. So I can tell you about most of the things, really. But that's almost the scarier place to be in because I've had that on sets before where I've got a small role, so no one specifically told me I can't talk about it, but <laughs> that's only because I'm so low down. They're probably thinking, well, it doesn't matter if he talks about it, but then it turns out <laughs> I've got this decent f- following. So it's that I have an almost greater fear of... Because if you're a Samuel L. Jackson and you've been told not to talk about it, but you talk about it, you're Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I mean, There's not a lot they can do. Yeah. What are they going to do? Like- you don't get to be in our films anymore. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. exactly. Whereas I'm in that place where they could quite fairly say, we're never working with you again, and it'll be complete accident. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird middle ground. But So one of the exciting things that's coming up is the Horrible Histories movie, um, and we'll g- g- get on to that. But before we do, yeah. the reason I hit you up initially was because I really enjoy you on Twitter. And, again, I think it's going to be s- something that we talk about I mean, it's, it's relevant to Horrible Histories, it's relevant to your podcast and your books that you're f- fun to, f- to follow because you'll give l- little snippets of history, but you'll make it seem like we're not learning. You'll make it fun and you'll make it kind of entertaining. And that kind of goes across all of your work, yeah. really. So t- Twitter seems like the perfect place to start in many respects. So how have you found that as... Because social media can be responsible, obviously, for a lot of misinformation, a lot of huge spreading of myths that become facts because they've been spread. But have you found using it as a place to go, oh, by the way, here's this cool person from history you've never heard of? I love it. I mean, I'm a huge Twitter fan. I've been on there since 2011, and it's um, it's been really important in my career. It's been really exciting um, just... I mean, just watching the news, you know, the Brexit stuff and everything. Yeah. The way the Twitter is now the place I start for news. That's where I go to um, from the moment that something has broken, you know, some big story. But as a historian, you know, my job, uh, my job title is a weird one. I'm called a public historian, which right. is the thing that people are like, what does that mean? Um, and quite often when you type it, uh, autocorrect turns it into pubic historian. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, uh, are you a pubic historian? And I'm, well, you know. I mean, that's a valid job too, I'm sure. I've done a bit of pubic history, but um, <laughs> I'm trying to say public historian. So my yeah. job is to communicate history to the public in a way that is engaging and accessible. And mostly I do it with comedy. That's kind of my yeah. specialism. There are a lot of historians out there doing great work, but I seem to have found a niche as the guy who works with comedy writers and comedy performers, um, helping them be funny, but also helping them work, at, you know, in a historical way that is factually accurate or, or captures the spirit of history. It must be tough to find the balance, right? Because with a lot of the work that is more primarily your work, the focus is education with a sprinkling of entertainment. Whereas with things like Horrible Histories, 
the focus is probably entertainment, then with a balance of, of education. Um, KRS-One is, is one of my favourite rappers, and he used to call, when he went down a route of doing a lot of stuff about black history in his lyrics, he called it edutainment, yeah. which which I think is a wonderful term. It has to come from the rap world, obviously. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a weird balance. So, so how do you find that kind of on both sides of it, on, on, on when you're consulting and having to go, right, well, that's there because of a joke, because of this. Yeah. If I ruin it by going, well, technically, yeah. uh, you know. It's the biggest uh, <laughs> part of my job is trying to not ruin jokes because I'm, I'm incredibly privileged to work. You know, I've worked in horrible history since 2008, we've yeah. been 11 years. Wow. And when I joined that show, I was really young and I was like 20. Or 25 and um i'm now an old man <laughs> gray and, and all that but what was incredible was the producer caroline norris who's an incredibly brilliant woman she immediately went all right you're in charge of the history that's your job and if at any point we make a you know a sketch that you're not happy with you tell me yeah and if you can convince me then i'll cut it so from the oh, moment wow. we did a you know literally series one terrifying because i'm in charge of this room of writers you know really famous comedy writers people i've grown up watching their shows our director has directed you know partridge and all the amazing shows caroline (laughs) has produced all the shows i love everyone in this room is cleverer and funnier and more experienced than i am but at any point i can say sorry we're not doing this amazing and everyone would stop and go all right how are we doing it instead how how do you fix this you know we've got this great joke we've got this great idea how do you fix it and for me, the huge privilege of being a historian who works with comedians is that you very quickly start to think like a comedian. You start yeah. to think like a comedy writer. And I do write on the show. I've written some sketches. I've written some songs on the show. Love and you start it. to think, how do I fix this? You yeah. know, I, I, the history is wrong. We can't do this. But it's such a great gag. How do we come back around at it from a different angle? It's, it's, it's great f- from the off that they gave you that power and put that importance yeah. in it. And I think it's why in one of my notes, I kind of note that um that horrible histories is my goddaughter and her sister's favorite show but oh, brilliant the key part is it's also their mum's favorite yeah. <laughs> and i think that's what's great about it is because there is that 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 focus on the importance of the educational side of it that doesn't mean you have to take away from the entertainment no, side it just means that you can have both again yeah. not to bring it back to hip-hop but throughout my career i started off and the focus was all on the content and then by my second down, I was like, <gasps> flows and breathing and pausing. Yeah. And it was only by my third that I was like, all right, you hear, you listen to people like KRS or Big Daddy Kane, and you realise that you don't have to choose between the two. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be either content or yeah. technique. Yeah. It can be both. And that's, I think, the prime example that, that Horrible Histories does is it can be both. It doesn't have to be, oh, it's educational, so it's going to be a BBC tape that you watch in school that's <laughs> yeah. got a bad joke in and yeah. bad acting. It can be, you know, it no, can we, be everything. We're, we're a hybrid show and we we had to invent it from scratch. Nothing like it existed before in television history. We had to come up with a new genre of TV called factual sketch comedy yeah. where you're doing sketches and songs and parodies. And that and... on paper, that sounds terrible. That sounds so unentertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, BBC. Sounds like the worst thing. Got this new idea, factual sketch comedy. But um, <laughs> the success of the show is that in many ways, although we're a history show, 
all the sketches are about history. Yeah. Actually, when you watch it, we're a parody of 21st century pop culture. Yeah. All our sketches are taking the piss out of movies and telly and adverts and yeah. uh, you know rap and grime and R&B and pop. And we're doing um, jokes about The Apprentice and MasterChef and quiz shows and movie trailers. And so all the stuff that kids are watching in our show, they immediately go, oh, I get this. I understand yeah. it. They understand the vocabulary. They understand the grammar of what they're seeing yeah. because it's taking the piss out of a thing that they have already they live in that world yeah. so you basically are smuggling history in by going hey look you know this stuff you're already on board with it yeah but let's imagine if lord nelson was doing it instead or or you know an ancient roman emperor is doing yeah. a hip-hop video completely and uh, i think comedy is the perfect trojan horse for that because oh, yeah. i think there's been years and years of the youth being quite frankly patronized by by people trying to go well it's shakespeare but it's rap and you know when done right akala's done stuff like that which has been amazing does incredible so stuff. when done right it's yeah. amazing but for a long time it can be really patronizing it, yeah. oh we're bringing hip-hop into it and we're going to tell you history through and it's like leave it mate just yes. leave hip-hop here and history here when but, it's your kind of cool history teacher who's trying to be sort of t- too cool and you're like oh yeah. you're trying too hard but our our thing is that we we hire the best writers, we hire the best cast, yeah. and we then go, right, okay, what's the funniest story? What's the, you know, we're not trying to teach you history. That's not our job. Yeah. We're trying to be cheerleaders for history. We're trying yeah. to go, this is a subject that you think is boring and yeah. is irrelevant and has got no purpose in your life because you're eight years old, and why the hell would you care about what happened 300 years ago? But it's great. It's an amazing subject. It's literally everything that's ever happened ever to everyone. Yeah. And it's funny. Come enjoy it. Have a laugh. Watch with your family. Watch with your brother and sister. Watch with your, you know, your friends. And then go back to school the next day and ask your teacher for a bit more information or go to a museum at the weekend and go, actually, you know, I've seen that on Horrible Histories. I'm going to read that little placard or I'm going to you know, go into the gift shop and buy a little book. It's, it, we're basically trying to inspire a love for history rather yeah, than teach it. Completely. And it's great because I think one of the keys to getting people interested in stories or individuals is familiarity. I think it's just, it's the same with music. Um, I've said a few times I've been asked to do seminars and stuff about the music industry. And my belief that the key to making a hit is familiarity. If you can get it played a load, if you like it or not, people are going to have it in their head. Yeah. And, I mean, the Marvel f- franchise is yeah. a perfect example of that. There's certain Marvel films that I don't think were great. I watched them, though, because <laughs> I'm familiar with the characters and I know them and I want to hear more about them. So if you can get kids to fall in love with certain characters on your show, then learning the history about them isn't going to be boring because it's a character that you're invested in Definitely. rather than here's just a random person, here's some stuff that happened 100 years ago. Exactly that. And that's why we do the music parodies. You know, the yeah. music, the song, we've done over 120 songs now and we've done kind of every genre you can think of. And uh, it's a really effective way of communicating a complicated bit of history by finding a parallel, by going, yeah. going uh, the most famous example, uh, and these days he's a very controversial fella, but um, uh, the Smiths and Morrissey. Yeah. My producer, Caroline, is a big fan of the Smiths in the 80s. She's really into it. And 
I was trying to explain Charles Dickens to her, and she was saying, "Well, what's he like? What, what's Charles Dickens like?" And I was like, oh, "He's a really complicated guy. He's he's very clever. He's very passionate. He cares about the working classes. He's uh, anxious. He gets nervous. Yeah. He worries about money and about class and about his status. But at the same time, he's quite arrogant. He's a bit of a big-headed asshole. But he he does care, and he's he's trying to fight for the little man. But at the same time, he's hanging out with all the posh people, and you know." And she goes, it's, he's Morrissey. He's just it. Morrissey. So and as soon as she said that, we're like, yep, he's Morrissey. And that song wrote itself in an afternoon. It's yeah. really easy because all you're doing is going, this person from history, a bit like this person from modern pop music. And and again, I mean, just uh, I mean, this, this feels like I'm a professional and there's all sorts of segues now. But one of the things, uh, one of my favourite t- t- tweets from you, I think someone had tweeted something like how iconic or what a great... <laughs> Feminist. I think it was Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift was. thing, yeah. And then you posted, oh, was it a, a Jeanne de Clisson? Yeah. Is that, yeah. again, I kind of, I couldn't remember it and I did some research, yes, I kind of going, female, <laughs> pirate yeah. thing. And it was amazing because, do you want to kind of tell us, because it kind of, the tweet was, is there a bigger feminist or has someone done more for women? And then you did a little bit about this woman and it was I can't remember the exact quote but someone you know that classic meme on Twitter of like name a more iconic person yeah, than Taylor yeah, Swift yeah, yeah. Or who's more badass I think than Taylor that was it who's, yeah. a mad, who's more bad bitch or something than yeah. Taylor Swift and I just responded really qu- I didn't even think about it I literally just off the top of my head went well okay Here's Jeanne de Clisson. Jeanne de Clisson was a French a noble woman in the I think 13th century but don't quote me on that but medieval whose husband was killed by the king and so she embarked on a life of terrifying piracy yeah. and just according to the stories that they might not be accurate according to the stories just sort of spent a decade raiding the high seas uh capturing all the french crews and killing every single one of them apart yeah. from like one sailor who'd be allowed to survive to tell the story that jean de Quisson had done this it's amazing and you just go okay the, my revenge my and revenge it's, yeah, and it's and, just you know it's and it's one of the stories <laughs> you kind of go it's probably not true but yeah it, it sort of speaks to a sense that when we talk about modern pop culture and then we talk about, you know, celebrities, and I'm writing a book about the history of celebrity, so I'm really interested in celebrity. Yeah. Um, we often talk about them as like bad boys and bad girls and, you know, these people who are, you know, really provocative and they don't play by the rules. And you kind of go, I mean, history is literally full of people <laughs> went around murdering, you know, Vladley Impaler literally impaled 20,000 people on uh, stakes yeah. and built a human fence out of them. Yeah. And yeah. you go, like, where do you start, you know, in terms of Taylor <laughs> yeah. Swift compared to that? Why was he a bad boy? Um, or celebrity is <laughs> a fascinating thing. It's it's something I was kind of discussing and thinking about a lot th- three years ago because in 2016 we saw a lot of celebrity deaths. Yeah. But we'd also seen a fair few in 2015. And mm. my kind of theory was, well, celebrity kind of came about in the 60s with the Beatles or the modern form of celebrity, therefore... We're that far on that we should each year see an increased amount of celebrity deaths because we've that's when celebrities kind of started or the, our <laughs> form of celebrity. So they're all going to be it's fifty, sixty, seventy years on. So each year there's been more celebrities. Therefore, okay. we're going to see more deaths as we go on. Was my kind of weird theory on it's it? A nice, it's a nice approach. So my book is out next spring. So I can't. I've not finished it yet, so I can't tell you exactly what's in it. I've, I've written 90% of it. If you want to use my theory, yeah. <laughs> you're very But welcome. I'm a historian, so yeah. I, when I started writing it, that's about, started four years ago, it's been a huge amount of work, this project, and I started thinking, well, when, it, when does celebrity start? 
Yeah. When does it start? Because you've said 50s, 60s. That's really interesting. Most sociologists were like, okay, 1910. Right. Hollywood. Let's let's say when films first arrive, yeah. that's celebrity. As a historian, my job is to go, all right, is that true? And as it turns out, for the past 10, 15 years, that's been a really interesting new area of historical research into what's called celebrity studies, where some historians have gone, all right, let's really look at this. And in my book, I argue celebrity starts in about 1700. Right. So it's about 300 years old. Wow. And... It's incredible. It's all there. It's all it's 1720s, 1730s, all the stuff you think of as celebrity. It's already happening in London and Paris in Amazing. 1720s. But your theory of the kind of glut of, of celebrity deaths we're expecting to get now yeah. does hold true because there is this huge new intake of celebrities in the 50s and 60s because of the birth of television. Yeah. And television gives you uh, a strange new form of intimacy. Mm. Yeah, of and course. so there's this thing called parasocial interactions that's the psychological name for when you think you know someone because you've seen them on the tv and you're like i know you and they're like no we've never met and you know today but, you and i have met for yeah, the first time yeah. and, but we've been chatting for five years on twitter or whatever well, i was I, gonna say the whole start of my career in music was that because i kind of blew up out of nowhere we were suddenly doing tons of radio and tv and i'd always kind of as i'm i always remember it as zane low up the road at radio one yeah. just walking towards and seeing him outside and going zane and then as i walk towards <laughs> thinking Oh, we've never met. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing yeah. this in a really familiar <laughs> way, but just because I've seen him on TV and heard him on every voice over ever, I was like, Zane, uh... And that's a parasocial interaction. That yeah. is a what's called a one-sided, lopsided interaction where you have false intimacy with well, a celebrity. Podcasts must podcasts be a massive definitely, part of that. Hugely so, because podcasts are so intimate. Yeah. Because it's conversational, you're, you're in the ears. You, you know, I listen to loads of pods like when I'm asleep or in bed trying to get to sleep and it for me it's a really important part of my um battling insomnia and I listen loads when I walk so I really really love podcasts as a really intimate form of conversation with people that you grow really close to you get the in jokes you get the favorite guests who come back yeah but in the 50s and 60s you get that with telly people are in your living room yeah they come into your house they're into your house you know, so it's not like you go to the movies and you pay your money and you sit down and, you know, popcorn and there's a big screen yeah, a and there's point. this gorgeous superstar up on the screen, yeah. you know, beautiful, amazing costumes. You're Telly, entering their world at that point. You're going to, some, you're going to a spectacle. Yeah. And it's almost theatrical. Telly brings people into your living room. And, of course, that means pop stars. That means TV talk show hosts like, you know, Wogan and um, people who became part of the furniture. Yeah. So when they started dying... Because uh, they're hitting their seventies and eighties, or of course Bowie, you know, younger. There was a real profound shock because these people had been part of the landscape, hugely important in our culture, but they'd also been part of our family lives. We'd been sat around with our mums and dads and our brothers and sisters growing up watching Top of the Pops or yeah, uh, those kind of shows. I mean, I also think the uh, gonna sound odd, but the advent in kind of the eighties of 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 mobile media, of portable media makes a big difference in the intimacy that we have because all of a sudden bowie is soundtracking mm. our journey to school yeah or our journey to work it's in our ears and again it was the first time we'd had that there's soundtracks in films all the time but for the first time we had our own soundtracks yeah. that we're seeing the world 
with this background and i think that hugely increases the intimacy because it's taken it along with us absolutely and the stories that people i mean i, I quote in my introduction to my book the day I, I began writing the book the day that bowie died right it's a weird coincidence i literally woke up at 8 a.m to get working on this book and switched on twitter and top story david bowie wow. yeah. and of course it had been such a shock because he'd kept it from everyone and i switched on lauren laverne's show on six music and and the whole show was just a tribute and people were phoning in and sending in emails with their favourite memories. And it was amazing the way that this this man, this, this you know, we sort of joke about him as like a sort of alien, you know, he, he kind yeah. of was uh, otherworldly, but he had impacted... Or him and Prince in the same year, because yeah, I mean, they were um, both so... Prince was the first act I ever saw that it felt like I was watching something that wasn't from this earth, as right. stupid as it is. Every other band, Sp- Springsteen, I think, is one of the best performers ever, yet yeah. I watched him and it felt like... That's a bloke up there, yeah, playing guitar because he's sort of blue collar and he's kind doing of doing songs, yeah. yeah. And, and Prince, it was like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, this absolutely. is amazing. And Bowie I've, and Prince were the same. I've in that just way. this morning been reading an essay about a Prince in the London Review of Books, which yeah. is a fantastic essay. Uh, exactly that, how extraordinary he was, and of course, you know, he was black. He was um, he was performing a sort of a sexuality that was confusing and provocative yeah. because up st- on stage he was, you know, he, he sort of was effeminate and, and masculine simultaneously. Yeah, he confused people and he alarmed people and he seduced people. An incredible yeah. musician, phenomenal number of musicians who can match him is like what three, four yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, you're right. Prince Bowie in the same year, um, there, there was a sort of sense that we had lost something profound. Yeah. But also, as you say, the intimacy of having been able to walk to school or in, in the car. Yeah. Like commuting to work and just listening to your favourite albums. It was, it was a really interesting one because both of them, it felt like it was a sad loss. Because I was a bigger Prince fan than a Bowie fan. I love Bowie, but I was really, uh, or oh, I am a really big Prince fan. And I quite quickly, because it, again, it's weird. It's because it was a weird day f- for me when Prince died, because I was I, sh- I was shooting a, a music video that day. Right. So we were in the middle of prepping it when that happened. And then it's like, right, that's my favourite, p- possibly my favourite m- musician has died. And action. So it's that kind of, of weird thing. But I quite, I don't know if that fast forwarded, but. But quite quickly, I was like, well, I've still got all of his music. Yep. We weren't and probably would never have been mates. So that <laughs> that 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 being, the physical being leaving the world yeah. isn't actually changing my relationship no, sh- sh- with un- him. it doesn't undo him, does it? it, no. it uh... Our relationship kind of remains the same because we were never going to meet. <laughs> no, I mean, the more traumatic thing is when a sort of huge celebrity is outed as being someone deeply problematic or they yeah. committed crimes that suddenly come out and yeah. you know I, th- I think I, I'm not obviously an expert on American comedy but I, the Cosby thing yeah. was huge because he had been this incredible role model yeah for, a real father figure and again exactly. at, the, at the era when particularly in, in black America I'd imagine it was the start of people be a family being in your living room yeah. that was kind of 60s 70s sorry was that kind of yeah time that was really coming in and also of course you know he'd been he played this incredible character who'd been a huge hit on network television but was also a respectable professional black uh, man who had uh, a good career and had you know kids and and was this sort of you know it was showing this incredibly progressive idea of what the american family could be Mm. not just not just white people yeah and so the trauma of the fact that he is 
this rapist who is this appalling yeah. um, predator yeah. has sort of undone his, his career for yeah. a lot of people and they yeah. can't enjoy it anymore. They can't go back and enjoy it. And so. again, it's really, it's not as easy as, oh, it's someone I liked. If it was someone who really inspired and, and, and gave a lot of young black men and women something to aspire to, 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 to let them know that they could be this huge star, that all these different things were available, that is a bigger thing to lose. That's not just, mm. I feel uncomfortable listening to R. Kelly now. Yeah. You know, not the end of the world. I'll live without R. Kelly. Fuck that guy. Can't leave. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not the same as that. Yeah, it's, I'm, it's... I'm, I'm into some rock and metal, and, and you know, I, I quite like Lost Profits back in yeah, the day, and yeah. now I just can't listen to them because it, yeah, it feels completely. weird. And it's not the band members' fault. It's not the guitarist's fault or the no. drummer's fault. But I can't listen to that band anymore. No. So uh, it's, it's a... you, you can lose an, an attachment and an intimacy with a yeah. recording artist or, a, or an actor or someone you really respect and so on. But I think what's more complicated is when someone has changed the landscape. Yeah. Like, and we've seen that with Michael Jackson, of course, yeah, as well. Yeah, a great example. Um, I mean, the, the subject of celebrity is an interesting one. I've, I've got a song called The Struggle, and a lot of people think it's about Johnny Depp being a serial killer. Because it has the line, my name is Johnny Depp and I kill people. And it's all about Johnny Depp going around killing people. But the actual below this, that's the base level story. Johnny Depp, it was before any domestic stuff came out and he became a darker character. But as a theory, an actor spends time in all different parts of the world. So if they were to kill people, you wouldn't, it'd be hard to tie them together. It'd be a weird thing to go, oh, there was a murder here. There was also one in Jamaica last week. Right. You know, but so it it was this weird theory. But the point of it was to kind of look at and dissect the nature of celebrity and the bizarreness that we hold. We we push celebrities into a completely different world to the one we live in, but then hold them by our standards. And the easiest example I always give is... um, Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus, when both of them were having these huge backlashes of, oh, they're a prick, they're so rude. It's like, well, since the age of about 13 or 14, Mm. they've been able to have anything they want, do anything they want. You can't expect them. I'm not excusing them, but you can't expect them to be normal people. No. And that's kind of the the weird thing of this thing. We, We love having celebrities an endless list of celebrities to follow to look at to watch to yeah. fawn over to to idolize to hate but then we get furious when they don't act the same and again often they do act the same like if 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 mary at work it comes out that she's cheating on her husband it'll be a bit it'll be, oh have you heard about mary if <laughs> kylie jenner cheats on her husband it'll be what a disgraceful disgusting role model and all this is like yeah. well no these are quite they're humans put into in or, or not in in human situations situations that are new to humans yeah yeah you know so it's a, it's a bizarre world i uh, i'm hoping that you're going to like my book because i've got all that stuff in there Excellent. that's exactly that i mean i'm i'm a historian so the book is from 1700 to about 1950 but yeah. i do write about miley cyrus quite early on in the book because i yeah. have to explain what celebrity is and she's a really interesting case study because she goes through three different types of celebrity yeah but I think it's, she's an underrated and important one as well, because despite well, I think part of her shock that she was causing, was she was openly saying, I'm not straight or gay. I yeah. take what I fancy. At the, do you know what I mean? I'm attracted to what I'm attracted to and things like that. Whereas it was at the peak of her being kind of de- demonised as she's thrust in half naked on this. And it's like, well, that's not great. But the role model of not 
having to label your sexuality yeah. is a really positive role model. And, and I think part of the problem also is that she had come out of the Disney thing, so yeah. people were judging her as a kind of Disney role model. Yeah. She was like, well, yeah. I'm a young woman, I, you know, I can do what I want. But yeah. she obviously lent into the sort of sexualization thing and, and she, you know, she did do things like give... You know, um, I think someone was a uh, dancer wore a Bill Clinton mask and she performed a sort of fake blowjob and you kind of yeah. go, all right, that is definitely pushing yeah. the envelope a bit. Yeah. But she's, Where's the art here again? <laughs> but ultimately, Madonna was provocative in, in the 80s and 90s and, yeah. and yeah. Um, the Rolling Stones were provocative in the 60s and 70s. 100%. Lord Byron was provocative in, in 1812. Yeah. You know, ultimately, these things are part of being a celebrity. So you um, have to generate heat. You've got to, um, you've got to yeah. create a, pro- a provocation. And I mean, speaking of the of the the role model status attached to being a Disney star, it's kind of that was ignored by D- Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Again, he's not a good example no, at not. all of, no. of 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 role model or positivity or humanity in any way <laughs> so it's like it's mad that that's something that but he's played by lovely tom hanks in the uh, movie uh, yes you know, which the, makes him adorable it makes him lovely and and uh, all-american hero yeah, yeah. i mean uh, it, celebrity is functional it has yeah. a role in society and i talk about that in the book and um, uh, the book's called dead famous yeah and it will be out next spring if you want to read it but... an unexpected history of celebrity from the bronze age to the silver screen right thank you very much there we yeah, go let's that's... get the full plug in <laughs> it's uh, it's really interesting because on the one hand, you kind of want to go, oh, I mean, what are celebrities for? They're a waste of space, yada, yada, yeah. yada. But from a sociological point of view, they are really important. They yeah. play a very powerful role in society. They are the prisms and the ciphers through which a huge amount of our ethical conversations happen. We engage with ideas of right and wrong, of um, morality and immorality, of sexual um, liberty and conservatism. We, you know, through them, we often find where the line is for us. Yeah. And we use them as entertainment. We use them as vicarious um, blood offering, sacrificial yeah. victims almost. You know, when, so when Britney Spears had a sort of really tough spell and she shaved her head and everyone was like, oh, my God, is she having a meltdown? Yeah. I kind of put, I think there was a really interesting South Park episode where they were talking about her being sacrificed yeah. to this sort of ancient cultic god. And it was a really powerful bit of comedy because South Park is an amazing show yeah. and it's funny, but every now and then it absolutely hits the nail on the yeah. head. And that one felt really precise to me. I mean, so uh, to kind of, we'll bring this gradually back round to the Horrible Histories movie, but I think it's interesting. What's your take on the importance of representation, accurate representation in in dramatised kind of, films because we touched upon um tom hanks as walt disney yeah i love saving mr banks and my thought on that is it's not a walt disney bar pick it's weird because i've discussed this with dexter fletcher Mm -hmm. with um alan hughes and with numerous different people and because i remember the straight out of compton film a lot of people were angry that um it didn't go into dr dre's uh, history of domestic abuse which is 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 horrific and I agree with that. I kind of posted at the time saying how much I love the film, but let's remember some other stuff while we're giving all this praise. And I don't think it's a case of trying to beat anyone down. I think it's trying to give perspective. But equally, I also feel, using Straight Out Compton as an example, it's not a Dr. Dre bar pick. It's an NWA bar pick. Mm-hmm. Well, there was about four minutes given to Dr. Dre's brother dying. Yeah. So you can't cover you can't cover absolutely not. everything. So that must be something that, as a historian as well, and your input, it's like right, 
you want to cover everything, but at the end of the day, it's not a lecture. It's no. not a book. It's not. It's 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 not a paper. It's it's a piece of entertainment. So you have to kind of pick and choose. This is a really interesting area of of, um, of conversation for me. And I, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I talk about this a huge amount. Yeah. And I, I I teach this. I teach at a couple of universities, so York University and Royal Holloway, um, which I studied at York and Royal Holloway. Um, uh, very kindly made me an honorary research associate, which is a very fancy title for yeah. a bloke who turns up every now and then and talks a bit. Um, but I work as a historical advisor to movies and drama and, and comedy, of course. Yeah. And my job is often to facilitate the storytelling and to help the creatives, the screenwriter, the producer, the actors, the, the musicians, whoever it is, to tell the best story they can. And I'll give them as much information as possible. And there are fantastic consultants like um, Hannah Gregg at York, who is, uh, she was a consultant recently on The um, the Favourite, which won all those Oscars, yeah. and she'd done Poldark. It's, uh, it's one of the things I enjoy on your social media as, as well, is you'll normally give a bit of a fact and then link to someone who's... Yeah. Knows more about it. My job. Go, Here's some stuff I know, yeah. but you should read this person's book. My or, job is a middleman. I'm a middle yeah. person. I am a public historian, means my job is to represent academic knowledge to the public. And quite often that means taking really complicated, sophisticated, highbrow, nuanced stuff and going, well, that's a bit tricky for the general public who've yeah. only got 10 minutes. I'll make it a bit easier to listen to. But if people ask me something on Twitter, most of the time I will go, here's a brilliant historian. Yeah, and Twitter is amazing for that. I follow nine thousand people on Twitter, yeah. and uh, I'm followed by about seventy thousand, I think, which is great. And what's amazing is that I can get any question answered about any subject yeah. in world history in about twenty minutes. That's any amazing. Question, That's such a great pool. There of are people thousands of, of historians yeah. on there, and absolutely everyone on there knows someone on there who knows the answer to your question. Yeah. So you can literally go, all right, what? I want to know what people wear in China in the 1320s on their heads. Yeah. And within two people, I can kind of go, oh, I know someone who knows something about China and they'll know someone who knows about 14th century China and they'll yeah. know someone who knows about fashion in 14th century China. I love it. Within 20 minutes, you get yeah. your answer. And it's fantastic. So that in itself is amazing. But in terms of drama and comedy and, and film, I'm a very strong believer in allowing creatives to be creative yeah. because that's that's the storytelling. That's you know, Homer did it in the Iliad, the Gilgamesh, and so on. Yeah. In the Bronze Age stories going back, Shakespeare changed history. You cannot do an accurate movie. It cannot be done yeah. because the past is vast and complicated and messy, and we can't even understand it properly as historians when you write a massive chunky book because there's always things we don't know. We don't have all the evidence, and also sometimes you just don't know how things went. So Richard the Third, did he kill the princess in the tower? Yes or no? You can hide. You can show that in a movie, but you can't show him doing it and not doing it. Yeah, he can't be a quantum king. He yeah. can't be simultaneously the bad guy wronged by history and the villain Shakespeare writes about. Yeah, you've yeah. got to make a choice. Can't be Heidegger's king. No, you can't exactly that. <laughs> or you know, Schrodinger's. Sorry, Schrodinger's king. king. <laughs> and you, um, you have to make choices. And so my job as an advisor is to help people make the best choices where possible. Obviously, I'll say to them that is not accurate. Here's what would be accurate. It would be great if you could do that instead. But my argument goes that overwhelmingly the power of historical media, and increasingly it's computer games now actually, like Assassin's yeah. Creed and games like that, having a massive impact on how young people engage with the past. That's fascinating. So really important that we switch on to that, and there's lots of really good historians doing that now, switching on to computer games and, and uh, gaming as a, as a world of, of, of accessing information about the past. Yeah. But it's so important that for me you allow creatives to be creative but that they work with historians during that creative process. And then when a thing comes out, 
and is shown on the BBC or shown in the cinema, then you need to have space available for historians to comment. So like you said about when, you know, the Straight Out Compton yeah. came out and you went onto Twitter and people trust you, yeah. they follow you, they know that you're knowledgeable, passionate, you've watched the movie and you've gone, yeah, I've enjoyed this, but here's some ancillary information. Yeah. That's what historians do on Twitter. That's yeah. what we need to do in the media. That's what we need to, you know, that's what historians do when you invite them on. So I very strongly believe in allowing creatives to be creative, but then allowing a follow-up space for historians to explain, explore, converse, talk to the public and go, look, it's great that you've loved, you know, Taboo. Yeah. So I got a lot of phone calls when Taboo came out, yeah. which I loved. I thought Taboo was brilliant fun. Great. I think it's really well made. <laughs> yeah. I think it's well acted. I think it was funny. I think it's... I think it was actually accurate in quite a lot of ways. But I got interviewed by lots of newspapers because of the swearing. Yeah. So the Times, the Telegraph, phoned me up and go, Greg, this very sweary. Did they have swearing? And he's like, of course they had swearing. (laughs) I mean, they're not like Mary Whitehouse. These are, you know, soldiers and pirates and politics. These are people who argue, who get passionate. Of course they had swearing. But it doesn't matter if it's accurate anyway. Yes, yeah. it's a, it's a story. It's yeah, completely. It's a creative story. It's interpretation. It's not even an, an accurate history per se. It's it's imagined yeah. characters. Completely. And what we're doing when we tell stories about the past is often we're telling stories about ourselves. Yeah. The past is often a mirror to our own personal interests, in the same way that celebrities are as well. Yeah. So when you choose to make a story about the eighteen twenties, quite often you're picking that because it's fascinating to us now in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Completely. 2020 yeah. because what are we going what what's our current obsession we're obsessed with sex we're obsessed with gender identity we're obsessed with violence knife crime we're obsessed yeah. with politics and with global warming yeah. and with um fashion and violence oh, oh, and the roles oh, of men and women you know oh, when I was, re- I was reading the script just seeing everything about how the east india company were kind of more powerful than oh the God. powers that be and they you kind of you can phenomenal. compare that so much to now how there are all these corporations and people yeah. behind who are back in this political party or that political party and that was the bit that got me i was like this is now yeah this i mean the east india company was basically google with an army yeah, yeah i mean yeah, they yeah. ran a country they ran an economy yeah. they got to make the rules um they came back into the british governmental control relatively late in the 19th century you know, mid late 19th century i can't remember the exact date but from the 1700s through to you know, 1820s 1830s they are a kind of commercial arm with their own force yeah. and they can levy taxes and they can do what they like. And it's scary. And yeah. and that's sort of the thing that speculative fiction or, or sci-fi or something like Years and Years or Black Mirror might yeah. move towards in the future and go, in the future, the tech companies will rule us all. It'll be yeah. robot. But actually, historically speaking, there was this huge economic corporation running Southeast Asia. Yeah. And they were allowed to get away with it. Yeah. They had the power. <laughs> they had a tremendous power and yeah. very little oversight. And, and a shitload of people were killed horribly, yeah. you know, either starved or disease or in war because of this powerful imperial commercial operation. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that excited me about Taboo as a story was that it was a period piece that for the first time didn't hide or for one of the first times that, that I was aware of, didn't hide from the fact that all the, the glitz and glamour was built on the graves of people with darker skin. Yeah. And I loved that the first script I read hinted at that in the first episode. And yeah. I was like, that's awesome that this is going the period route, which the British love. We love a period oh, drama. We, we can't get enough of it. But, but so much of it is 
quite literally a whitewashed yeah it's bonnets and bustles story. it's yeah. it's um one of the real things about the attraction to history as a an entertainment genre is there's this oppositional uh, desire and i often say that there's there's a few ways to spin it but ultimately we come to historical dramas for kind of either reassurance and romanticism mm-hmm. so we want the past to be lovely and nice and different yeah. because the modern world is full of traffic and noise and you know knife crime and we're like oh god it's awful yeah. i just want to watch downton abbey with people you know nice frocks nice hats yeah or you get the oppositional you get the uh the thing that the past was nasty and brutal and yeah. savage and there were no protections and no welfare system and no safety net and you could be mugged or stabbed on the street yeah. and taboo feeds into that yeah, concept yeah, because yeah, yeah. Taboo is so gritty and grimy yeah. and raw and there's very little romance and there's some lovely costumes but yeah. they are dirty and they yeah, are torn yeah, yeah, yeah. and you get that sort of split you get Ripper Street on one side yeah. and Downton on the other side and Completely. often history is pulled in those directions and the truth is it's both of those things yeah. the truth is, is that there were wealthy people in nice hats and there were street kids and there were slaves and there were people who were brutalized and victimized and sold and bought and killed yeah so that someone else could make an awful lot of money and i think we're starting to see hopefully now we're starting to see more awareness of of black history of colonial history of the impact that empire did to people you know akala's book recent book yeah you know it's, it's a fantastic book you know and he's not a historian per se but he's done a fantastic job yeah uh I definitely recommend giving it a... He's, I've got the audiobook, it's fantastic. He's amazing. When I had him on the podcast, it was like, well, as you say, he's not a historian per se, mm. but dear God, does he know a lot about, oh, he's done his reading. about history. You know, he's he, knows, done his reading, yeah. he knows his stuff. Um, a Black Earth Rising was another one. It feels like it's I'm just praising the BBC now, but, but that was another one that seemed to just do a really good job of telling a complex story mm. that I hadn't heard told before and seen that... Throughout the history of Africa, the liberators can become the 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 people that need to be liberated from mm. quite quickly and in within a generation and things like that. And it can be this kind of the resistance, the the counterculture becomes the culture mm-hmm. as as such. And yeah, yeah, it's I mean, fascinating. We're, when we're living in a time, I think, where we've seen the wind rush generation yeah. betrayed by their own government. You know, and it's not like these people had been allowed into the country. They were British. They are British people. And they have been stripped of their citizenship. Yeah. And you just go, that would not happen to white people. No, completely. So it's really, you know, we have to be better at talking about empire and we have to be talking about um, the impact of legacy and the way in which institutional racism has been propped up by history and the way that history is taught as well. Yeah. So part of my job on Horrible History is part of my job as a communicator. And I'm not a specialist on empire. There are much yeah. better people than me. But part of my job is to kind of go, look, you can't just keep banging on about Winston Churchill and Henry VIII. Yeah. There's this whole other part of the world that we went and interfered in and the legacy of that is still with us. Yeah. So, um, but dramas like Taboo are hugely influential in changing that. And so I'm hugely in favour of movies, drama, games, books, rap, whatever, engaging in these ideas, even if they're slightly not entirely accurate. Yeah, because they start a conversation. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think things like Detroit the other year was a fantastic film, and it's it's a thing that I'd watched numerous documentaries. I always seem to bang on about when someone going to do a good drama about the LA riots yeah. because there's some amazing documentaries and some amazing books, but there's an area of people that's probably the majority who aren't 
going to sit down and pop on a documentary or read this this historical book so yeah i think it's so rife for it particularly as we're at a point now where we've got amazing black writers and black producers in hollywood who lived through that and it's yeah but anyway aside from that i'm not going (laughs) off on that tangent again um history is pretty big yeah (laughs) so and you've had you're coming up on the eighth series of horrible histories i believe the eighth one's currently on tv yeah so how how was it to decide what to focus on in the film because the film it's a big it's a big decision to go right well now we've got to go where we're going to go because the the series you can kind of go where you want but the film you have to go right Here's what we're focusing on. It's really difficult, and it's such a challenge. I mean, I uh, at university I, I studied um, history, obviously as a historian, but I wrote my masters on um, movies about King Arthur. Yeah. So, uh, and my favourite, of course, is Monty Python's Holy Grail, which is yeah. a masterpiece. Yeah. So, uh, I was already aware of the the fact that how difficult it is to go from sketch to movie because Python had done exactly that. They'd gone from sketch to movie, yeah. and picking a story was really difficult for them. And they they took a long time to find the the idea of Holy Grail. And for us, it was the same thing. It's like we've done everything. We've done the history of the world from the Stone Age up to yeah. um, Martin Luther King. What are we going to do at ninety minute movie? On? Yeah. yeah, and the story. Very quickly, we were like, okay, well, we kind of want a kind of, not a love story at all, but we want a kind of boy meets girl type story, but we want to change it. We don't want it to be romantic. We want it to be about friendship and about a bond, a respect, but we need them to start on opposite sides. We need them to have a kind of enmity to begin with, and they can then gradually learn to respect each other. And very quickly, it was like, all right, well, there's a few avenues that give you that, but perhaps the most iconic one, going back in terms of what we've done in the series and so on, is, is you the roman and celtic kind of opposition you know the idea of boudicca versus the romans yeah we've had a lot of fun with it we had a really great song earlier on the series that um that martha sang and we thought well that that gives you quite a lot of leeway and also because the celts were a kind of interesting culture in that women were relatively emancipated and they could do a lot of stuff they could own property they could possibly even be warriors it was like, okay, well, well it'd be quite fun then to reverse, invert the usual expectation. Yeah. And instead of having a sort of big, strong, strapping Roman soldier, we have a slightly weedy Roman boy, really, yeah. who's sort of chucked in the Roman army against his will. And he comes to Britain and there's a, a wannabe Celt warrior who's a girl. Yeah. And they're enemies, but they sort of start in slightly oppositional positions of where you might expect boy meets girl to be. Yeah. So she's the kind of wannabe warrior and he's the kind of nerd yeah. who likes reading I'd scrolls. He's really into like <laughs> he's really into science and poetry and, yeah. and and he's not he's not at all butch. Yeah. So it that felt like a really interesting place and so I did a lot of research and, and gave it to producers Caroline and, and Giles and, and Dom and then we um, we had a fantastic screenwriter called uh, Jess and um, we went like okay that that feels like a world that we can build and then once you've done that you've got Boudicca and Nero as your big famous kind of secondary characters and then our invented characters of Atti and Orla yeah. as our imagined teenagers who yeah. sort of meet through through empire again it's it's the story of empire and invasion and resistance and and again it's a beautiful th- thing there not to, to 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 bring it back to taboo but it's a beautiful thing of finding that point of history and then creating some fictional characters within that history mm. to give you that leeway so you don't have to That's it. change anything that feels criminal to change or or add anything that feels criminal to add. You can go, well, here's our historical figures. Yeah. Here's our people who could have been real or could not. Exactly. You know, so let's let's that gives you that freedom to to focus on 
the quality of the story in the film rather than just here's the historical accuracy. Exactly that. You wanted obviously Nero and Boudicca because they're big names and they are fun and they you know they help market the film and all that and and we've got really funny actors in all the roles. And I was going to say, was that a big thing? Because uh, pals of mine and previous guests, Nick Frost and Kate Nash. Nick Frost is in it. Kate Nash is, is fantastic. She's Boudicca. Yeah. Kate, and she's and she said that, um, she said she spent her whole life wanting to play Boudicca. Yeah, of course. She, you know, she's red-haired and she's, you know, she's she was so up 100%. for it. As soon as I looked at that on IMDb, I was like, well, obviously, she's going to have been <laughs> all over that. It was a very easy bit of casting. She was like, I definitely want to do this. Yeah. Um, and then Nick Frost plays... Um, uh, Orla's dad he's sort of a, a, a chieftain in, and he's having such a fun t- he's so funny in it yeah I mean, I, you know looks really wonderful well. in the trailer I've, I've not met him yeah, before not, but yeah. he's just the funniest guy and he's so expressive and he's really he's full of heart in it and yeah. he, he's this sort of dad who really wants his daughter not to get harmed and but she's desperate to be a warrior you know it's a really lovely piece it, of acting it, it feels like you've done a really good job you as a as a as a team I'm saying here kind of 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 Doing that thing of being aware that the move from TV to to silver screen has to be a jump. Yeah. So add in some some big names, some of the right people, but but then equally not just going. Well, it's not going to feel like horrible histories. It, the the Boudicca and uh, sorry, not Boudicca. The 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 the. The couple, mm-hmm. as such, um, the French aren't, crew, yeah. aren't huge names. No, aren't, they aren't. aren't you they're, know, so they're the kind of key to the story. Yep. But you've not gone. Well, who's a huge actor? You've you've put these huge actors in the these bigger actors that are new additions to the horrible histories kind of world. You've put them in key roles, but not as the primary focus. So it doesn't feel like oh, it's a Nick Frost film or no, it's a Kate Nash film or whatever. Well, it's, else. it's also it's a it's a movie for families and for for kids. And so we wanted young leads, of course, your, yeah. your teens. And um, so our um, our two leads are Sebastian Croft and um, Amelia Jones, and they are incredible. They have ludicrous chemistry and amazing charisma, and they're going to be huge stars, and there'll be yeah. loads of stuff. And um, as soon as we saw them doing the screen test, it was like, oh my god. Yeah, these two people can carry a film, which is mad because they are literally like doing their A levels or whatever. Yeah, and then you drop in the kind of big names around them. So Nick Frost is is obviously fantastically funny. Kim Cattrall from Sex yes. and the City plays Nero's mum, and she's just really really good at it. And then uh, Craig Roberts right is very funny Nero, who's playing yeah. in a really different way than you might expect. He's his Nero is sort of slightly annoyed, frustrated, sort of mumbling Welsh kind of Nero that's a very different take on it yeah. and it's so funny and then there's loads of people from uh, British comedy um, Alexander Armstrong Warwick Davis um, yes just a, a massive cast of, of cameo people and you're like oh that person that person Lee Max in it he's really yeah. funny um, Jamie Demetrio um, he's amazing there's just funny people everywhere yeah. but they're doing really lovely focused just character stuff. Yeah, and it, it um, feels like you can do that because of the respect that Horrible Histories has earned over the years. I think it's it's not seen as a kid's show it's, or, or, or whatever else. It's it's It seems to be... It, it caught my attention because it seemed like it had so much respect from from actors, from, from grown-ups yeah. kind of thing. So it feels like that's a great thing that you can have all these people in there because, I mean, also a lot of them, I'm sure... I've got kids, and I'm it's sure. that kind of exciting thing of, well, my kids love it, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. But. Absolutely, and of course, it's such a, uh, being in a movie is a really different experience, but we have the loveliest crew. We've got the, yeah. in, the team is incredibly just uh, creative, collaborative, warm, and, and 
fun. It's a lot of fun making horrible histories. Yeah. I mean, the budgets are always crap. Yeah, of uh, course. You know, it's nothing. It's not like a Netflix drama. We, you know, it's a low budget. British indie. But it's such an annoying thing. That all if, the money's on screen. Yeah, and you it's do it really... successfully for a low budget, and instead of getting more budget, you get more episodes <laughs> or more to do. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah. you did great with nothing, so we'll give you nothing <laughs> again. It's like, what? That isn't that. That's not what we're trying to say. No, I mean, the BBC have been so supportive, and we, you know, there's no other show they would have brought back eight, you know, eight seasons in a yeah. row, which has been so so incredible. But we are very expensive for a kids show but, yeah. but the money doesn't go far enough sometimes for what we're trying to do because we're trying yeah. to do like all of history yeah, yeah so yeah. Our, our movie is um and historical stuff budget. always needs b- big Your sets or locations sets, locations costumes yeah. you know straight out the gate you're doing the budgets are you know, up there. thousands of thousands just on yeah. wigs you know like yeah, you just, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you've yeah. got a lovely beard you're all right yeah. but um you need all the sort of just the the kind of makeup trailer is yeah. incredible the amount of stuff they keep in there i and mean the, i was looking at, at kate and, and nick and and confused as to why my name wasn't on there because literally i would have saved you a fortune on beards hair i could not wash for a while well if so, we do a viking you know, one we'll get you in because you know, you've definitely got a bit of a, a norse look um yeah. so it's a really lovely film what's surprising about it actually and it took us four years to get off the ground and so i'm so delighted to be here telling you about it yeah. but what's surprising is that when you do horrible histories of the tv show it's all about the poo and the wee and the slapstick and the kind of high energy visual style yeah. it's really really kind of anarchic and this film is really charming and sweet yeah. and lovely and anarchic. So, yeah. like, it's got... I was going to say, I thought it's great that in the trailer you make it clear, oh, there are still going to be poo and wee oh, or yeah. fart I jokes mean, or whatever. Like, you'd think the trailer might just gloss out. It's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, just no, to be clear. There are toilet jokes yeah. plenty, I promise you. <laughs> and there's some sort of, you know, some a little bit of casual violence, nothing too horrible, but, you know, it, it's yeah. about war. You know, it's yeah, about the But at the heart of it is this really lovely story that I did not expect to be in there when we first started i thought it would be kind of really nasty and grim and yeah. it's not it's really lovely and kids who've have seen it at um, preview screenings we've had incredible feedback from kids who just immediately connect with the two leads and and are learning some history along the yeah. way but they're emotionally invested in their friendship it sounds like a, a weird comparison and it might be because it's on my mind because i've recorded a podcast with danny boyle earlier in the week but his film yesterday mm. There's so much that feels similar there in that the guy in the lead, um, Hamish, um, I can't remember his, his surname, um, as soon as he was in, they were like, this is the guy. He can carry this whole film. He's wow. not a big name, so we're going to have to fight for him. It sounds so similar to that yeah. that pair. But then also it is that. I went in thinking it's a cool concept, but is that going to work over yeah. a whole film? Yeah. And it was exactly that. As soon as you see the the, the, the couple and the friends... It's just you, you can. It's the podcast thing. Yeah, you can w- listen to mates chat for ages once you feel like one of their mates. Yeah. and that was this on screen. I was like, the whole concept of the Beatles thing is almost secondary because I'm just invested in what these kids are doing or right. what these guys are doing, yeah. and it feels like a similar thing. There, you've got this huge historical story that you suddenly shrink down to this intimate. That's relationship it. It, and interaction. It's a it's a friendship between two people, and then on the macro scale, it's about an empire versus a, you know, a resisting colony yeah. you know, in in rebellion. So you go massive macroscopic and, and tiny microscopic, and you get this really lovely film. And it's a musical. There's songs in it. Yeah, you know, there's there's some sort of dancing. There's some all the stuff that you expect from horrible histories. But it's a film, and it works as a film. Yeah. It's a ninety minute story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
And along the way, there's some toilet jokes and some very, very funny lines and some wonderful performances. And then, you know, a big song and dance number at the end. And it kind of ticks all the boxes you want. But yeah. it's really different to the sketch show in a lot of ways. But it's really lovely. Yeah. I've seen it three times. And every time I'm like, it's so much better than it should be. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, this is our first film. You, you think maybe we would have slightly got something a bit wrong. But yeah. it really works. And uh, I mean, uh, I love, as you said, that it's 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 a way of introducing people to periods of history and to parts of history and give them the option to find out more. And one of the ways they can find out more <laughs> is your new BBC podcast. Yeah. Um, you're dead to me because one of the people covered in that is Boudicca. Yeah. So again, it's a perfect thing to go, here's Kate Nash's Boudicca. Isn't that <laughs> a cool as fuck character? Here's some more information yeah, on it. Yeah, is um, it true? Yeah. Um, I listened to the Blackbeard episode. I, I really like the the format of it. Kind of I like it arrogantly because it's really similar to how Say Why to Drugs Work, which is a podcast I do with Susie Gage. And the idea of that is we've got an expert yep. and we've got someone who will just talk about them a lot. So my role in Say Why to Drugs is in my youth, I've done a lot of the drugs. Mm -hmm. I don't do any now, but I'm perfectly happy to talk about my experiences. And the thing that Susie does there is she'll talk about the facts and the the popular myths mm -hmm. and then she'll explain which ones are true and which ones are false. And it's it's a perfect format for, for history because yeah. at the start you can go, like the Blackbeard one, here's all the things that... You might know about him. And then we've got an expert. On that one, you had Stu Goldsmith yeah. um, of the Comedians, Comedian, Com yeah. Comedian Podcast. So you've got someone there to keep it light and keep it funny. Um, and, yeah, it's just a fascinating way of going through, here's some amazing historical stories and tidbits. So how... How's that all coming about and how's, how is really it to work fun. on? I'm so glad you enjoyed it and um, I'm having a blast making it. The The reason behind it, so the show is called You're Dead to Me uh, for a number of reasons. A, I thought that's quite a funny title. Yeah. But also <laughs> it's a show for people who don't like history. It's yeah. a show for people who forgot to learn any at school is the tagline. Yeah. You know, if you, you went to school and you just, oh, you're like, What's, why am I learning this stuff? I don't care. I'm not interested. I'm 15. I want to go out and smoke and behind the bins. Or I want to get off with people I fancy. Or I want to go play yeah. football. And it's about trying to sort of help people get back into the idea of learning a bit of history, but, you know, not a huge amount. So what we're doing is quite ambitious in that we're trying to de basically deliver like a university lecture with jokes. Yeah. So you're getting a proper expert, someone with a PhD who literally studies this every day. That's their job. We're getting professors in, we're getting PhDs in. But sat alongside them are top name comedians, so Sarah Pascoe, Joel yeah. Domit, um, Desiree Birch, yeah. um, Richard Herring. Uh, you know, we've got fantastic people in every episode. Love it. And they are sitting there and going, hang on, what? And they're asking questions and they're having fun, they're being silly, they're being... Sarah sounds like a great one to have on because she's got such a thirst for knowledge as she's well. So, so her excitement smart. to so learn, smart. she'll have a lot of knowledge and then but have such excitement to find out more. She'd also played Boudicca as a tour guide. Which oh, I had really? no idea. And she's from Colchester. Our family's from Colchester, which Boudicca burned down. Of oh, course. wow. So she'd actually been Boudicca for like 10 minutes a day. Um, I love it. So it was like, oh, my God, that's an amazing connection. And yeah. Stu's from Bristol, where Blackbeard is from. So we always try, yeah. and a little, we try and find a little way in. Try it together. I love it. So we've had Desiree Birch talking about Harriet Tubman. You know, we're always trying to find a way to connect people in yeah. to a story. Um, but what we're trying to do is quite bold in that we're trying to deliver really high level knowledge to you. 
but in a way that you're always having a little giggle, having a laugh. It's being broken down for you by me as the host, our expert. Then the comedian is basically there to make sure that the audience's questions get answered yeah. or asked even. You know, they're there to kind of go, hang on, you're going too fast. I don't understand it. Or what does this mean? Or did that happen? And The Alan Davis r- r- the role, Alan Davis role. To it, yeah, yeah, it's it's all the time. It's what know, I do on the podcast exactly a lot of the time. No, is go, the, the, rather the, than try and sound clever, the I'd curious amateur as like, stupid as possible for the happening? listener. Yeah. yeah, but these people are obviously funny. So it, yeah. each episode is funny in its own way. But they've got a different vibe. Each episode has got a slightly different vibe, which I love. So. Yeah. The Harriet Tubman episode is really like powerful and emotional because it's about, you know, an incredible woman in American history, a black heroine who just had a crap life and then was like, I'm not I'm not going to stand for this. Escaped from slavery and then went back in and freed the slaves that she could free 800 slaves, lived this incredible life, but still sort of died in poverty. And it, that was a really powerful one. And yeah. the Blackbeard one is just pretty funny. It's just... Man, there's so much stuff in there I loved. I loved the... And I'm not going to g- g- give all of it away, but I think <laughs> there are some that's worth giving a teaser. I love that it essentially catfish people with the flags on his, his ship. So yeah. he'd put up the French flag if it was a French ship so they'd feel safe. And then just... Be- I love the fact that it wasn't even that he'd go all the way there. Just before he'd get there, he'd switch it to a pirate flag and go... Hey, it's us really um, <laughs> it's like the Fonz and, and I love that um, what was a few of it's the, the fact that pirates wore a lot of jewels in their ears and fingers and stuff and the, the reason for that was because banks didn't particularly exist no. so you wanted your valuables on you to carry your wealth I love that um Another thing was that he essentially came up through an apprenticeship scheme. Yep. <laughs> Work experience. That he was kind of a legal pirate for a long time. And yeah. then when he wasn't, when his kind of license ran out, he was like, I like this. Yeah, this is, I'm good at this. This is all right. Um, <laughs> the idea, there's, there's only two more things I'm going to mention. The idea that pirate DVDs are kind of make some sense because a lot of what pirates did was get stuff that wasn't, readily available yeah. in your area and se- or, or wasn't cheap and sell it on the cheap and yep. you know there's literally pirate in- market yeah. yeah um but but the the one that, that blew, blew me away was that he treated women kind of well yeah he's, for, for his uh, time he was kind of known as not the raping P- 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 pillaging type he's a bit murdery he yeah. does he does a bit of killing but he tries a, to avoid had violence had a few wives had a lot of he's yeah. got a lot of wives yeah, he yeah. has got a lot of wives and yeah. you know you're, you're talking beyond 10 yeah, um, yeah. but yeah he's, he's a, a, bit a woman a, in every port exactly as, the, as the saying exactly would be but. so he's a really interesting case study and we had a lot of fun in that episode it's a really funny one and Stu's a very funny guy yeah. and Rebecca our expert really knowledgeable and every episode we've done so far has been fantastic but they're all a little bit different which I really like that they've all got their own personality yeah. it's not a sort of cookie cutter this week we're doing this and it's going to sound the same yeah. each one has got a different individual take because the expert is different the comedian is different and the subject matter. Sometimes you've got to be more sensitive. Sometimes it's quite problematic yeah. histories, and sometimes you're having a real laugh. So we are. We're, you know, we've done one on the history of LGBT identities um, yeah. with Susie Ruffle, and that was really you know, fantastic. You're talking about the history of, um, of lesbian people, gay people, bi people, trans people. You know, it's it's sensitive stuff, and you've got to be careful not to say anything that you know is painful or hurtful. But you can still have jokes in there. You can still find yeah. humour in there. So yeah. uh, I'm really proud of it, and uh, we've done about ten so far. There'll be 15 in the first series, and uh, yeah, it'll be hopefully available on the, uh, the podcast app. I, c- I, can't, I can't wait to hear all of them. I, I remember when I was younger and my car had a tape deck, I bought in the services, I bought the 
box thing of the Mark Steele lectures. Oh, yeah, Mark's fantastic. And that was just amazing for me because I was someone who didn't enjoy school. I wasn't particularly great at school and it was after school that I then got a thirst for knowledge and part of that was because of the Mark Steele lectures because he'd have these irreverent, funny, little snippets of history lessons and that's what it felt like oh, with this it felt like wow i'm gonna have a whole series again that i'm gonna want to just have on and learn and, and listen to them all a few times and let it yeah and, and sink in and the important thing for me is that we've got proper experts there yeah so the stuff you're hearing is legit it's yeah. proper you know it's university level education but it's accessible because there's a comedian there and i'm there to make sure that you know no matter how many gccs you don't have you're still going to go i get this it's fine i'm this is making sense to me i'm learning some stuff i'm having a chuckle um, yeah. And they're only 45 minutes long. So, you know, that's the length of a commute or, you know, yeah. pop it in your ears for nighttime and listen in the bath if you want. I was literally going to say, <laughs> I can tell you now it's the length of a bath because that's how I enjoyed it last <laughs> night. So <laughs> that's perfect. Um, well, before I, 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 I wrap things up, we talked a fair chunk about your new book that comes out next year. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about your old book? Yeah. So that if anyone's listening now and they want to go and get get something immediately it seems weird to have spent so long on something they they can't have and not touch upon the thing that they can have (laughs) so it was a million years in a day and it was um from what i feel it's uh, as i kind of have said earlier it's exactly what i like about uh, your tweets it's making history accessible and funny and enjoyable to uh, to learn about yeah yeah it's um the idea was how do i write a book that is readable for absolutely anyone on the planet uh, whether they've never read a book before or they love history books, you know, because some people love history books and read yeah. all history books and some people hate books or yeah. some people hate history and they will never read a history book. And I was like, how do I write a book for that person? Yeah. How do I get them? And the idea was to find something universal. And immediately I was like, okay, it's got to have to be daily life. It's got to be the thing that we all do. Yeah. The story of our daily life. So the book is structured around a modern Saturday and you wake up in bed and it's the history of beds and you run to the crapper because you need you need the loo and it's the history of the toilet and the history of toilet paper and hygiene sanitation then you take a shower it's the history of hygiene washing baths showers then it's uh the history of food because you need breakfast and you you pop in a bit of breakfast and then it's the history of communication because you read your emails you pick up the paper um then it's the history of pets you walk the dog so i just go through a saturday and i go all the way back to the stone age so the subtitle is a million years in a day, a curious history of everyday life from the Stone Age to the Phone Age. Yeah. So every chapter is essentially a kind of short essay starting in the Stone Age and finishing now. But it's got jokes. It's yeah. funny. It's lively. It's got Star Wars references and yeah. gags about Lady Gaga. The idea is to try and just on every page have loads of information, but you can literally read that one page and then put the book down. Yeah. Because it's it's kind of a book you can read in the loo, you can read it in the it, bath, you it can read feels, it. You know. It feels as if I'm referencing it a lot now, but it feels as if it will give you the same benefit as Q, as QI that you'll enjoy yeah. it, be entertained, but you'll also be able to look smart in front of your friends. Go, Absolutely. Oh, by the way, did you know that um, <laughs> the actual the reason we started having toilet paper was you know, absolutely? Kind of... And I've just come from this morning just doing a Radio Four series based on the book, which yeah. um, which you can probably listen to as well. It's called The Origin of Stuff. It's presented yeah. by Katie Brand, and we've done six episodes on the history of like a single object. So we've yeah. done the toilet this morning. And we've done the fork and we've done a uh, high heel shoe. And it's amazing that you can take a single object, like anything at all, anything in this room. Like yeah. I'm looking at that over there. You've got a telephone over there. Yeah. The history of the telephone. You can start, obviously, with the invention of the telephone itself, which is in the late 19th century. But actually, 
it's not that because it's about the history of communication. Yeah. So you have to go back to the Stone Age. So you've got to go back to the invention of uh, ciphers, you know, little symbols that people are writing on the walls yeah. of caves. Yeah. And incredibly enough, only like 10 years ago, archaeologists discovered that there are 26 symbols that keep showing up across Europe in caves from the Stone yeah. Age from 30,000 years ago. One of them is a hashtag. Oh, wow. Which is mad. That's bizarre, yeah. So I gave a talk at Twitter a few years ago and I told them that and they were like, that's crazy. I was like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's coincidence because yeah. a hashtag's easy to draw, isn't it? Yeah, so you've yeah, just, yeah, they've just gone up, yeah. down, up, down. Yeah. But there are these symbols in the Stone Age that people are using and you can trace that history through to the development of writing 5,000 years ago where people invent cuneiform in the Babylonian world or hieroglyphs in Egypt, the idea of writing things, to, yeah. the idea of writing your thoughts on a piece of paper or papyrus and someone else being able to read it, that is telepathy. Yeah. That's communicating your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. To someone else without saying it out loud. It's, a, it's magic. That's it's mad, It's genuinely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And you can only do that when you've decoded a language that other people can decode as well. Yeah. So the telephone that. is at the end of that long, long, long history. So yeah. I, I talk about the, you know, I mean, the history of the phone. The telephone is going to be one whose story has got the most unpredictable twist at the end, right? The fact that it went from being a thing to a thing that has all the information in the world on oh, it and we have in our pockets. It's and crazy. It's, it's it's the most popular camera in the world. Like, yeah. It, it, um, Nikon or Canon or whoever would never have predicted that they were going to be overtaken by first Nokia and yeah. then Apple. Yeah. It's like, what, the phone people? Yeah, they're going to they're gonna take away the market. <laughs> but it's, nah. it's phenomenal how powerful <laughs> the phone is now in our society. As you say, the camera, yeah. the, you know, the ability to use maps, navigation, communication technology, Twitter and Instagram and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But also security, uh, personal security, private security, you know, your, your deep secrets, your yeah. bank codes. Our world is... I mean, so my phone at the moment is playing up. It's, yeah. it's been a nightmare all week. I'm off to the Apple store to go and yeah. yell at them and go, oi, what's going on with it? The moment it stopped working, I just had a panic attack. I was like my life is on this small box yeah, and I can't function. I don't or, know where to get or anywhere. When we organising, you let me know it wasn't working in <laughs> was case like, there was any issues. I was I really worried. I was like, Tim, you like, can't get in touch. My thought was, my reading of you is you're as boringly organised as I am. So we'll both be here at least for 15 minutes early, yeah. which we were. We were so I was like, yeah. it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> we're not going to need our phones in this interaction. No, but. I know. But like the idea <laughs> of me just walking around London and not being able to use Google Maps or yeah. not being able to, I mean, I'm obsessed with Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the yeah. bloody time. I just suddenly realised my life is on this little box and I I just don't know how I exist without it. And I, that's terrifying because I was 18 when I got my first phone. Cr- cr- Cross-promotion here, but I was a guest on another BBC Sounds podcast called S- Switch Off, oh, yeah. uh, which is Connie Huck's new one, yeah. where she gets the guests to have a week off of all social media. Oh, I'd struggle. And that's kind of the challenge. The point she kind of explains beforehand is, look, if you fail, then we'll discuss that. Mm. You talk briefly on the phone beforehand, and then at the end of that week, you meet up and g- g- go over it. And I found it absolutely f- f- fascinating. It made me learn how much pointless stuff I do on social right. media. Because okay. when I came back, I didn't find myself feeling there was anything I needed to, to catch up on. Oh. Do you know? And it was kind of a, I'll continue from here then. Really? So you... like, I didn't, and I'm on it constantly. But yeah. having that week off, I didn't feel, oh, I need to go and just get up to date on this. It was just. Here we are again. So it shows you how irrelevant a lot of it is. I'm definitely addicted. Um, I mean, my wife is always telling me I'm addicted to my phone. And my argument is that it's made my life so much better. It's definitely helped my career. And it helps me do my job, which is communicating history to the public through jokes and silliness. But also, yeah, if you took it off me, I think I'd just 
I'd really get a bit. I think we're we're in the worst position because we can use the excuse of it's our job and yeah. not look at how much time you're spending that isn't your job. And that's what was fascinating about this. The bits I was panicking about was oh, I've got a podcast out on Wednesday. Yeah, what's going to happen if I don't post about it? Yeah, and in the end, nothing happened. I posted about it on the Friday because I went from Friday to Friday. I posted about it on the on the Friday and people heard about it and it was fine. But yeah. It it's an interesting one there. Definitely invested. I mean, I'm looking to maybe come come down a little bit on the usage, maybe. Yeah. Maybe just drop it slightly. But for me, it's a part of who I am now. Yeah. And I, the remarkable thing is about five years ago, because I write a lot of jokes on Twitter, and some of them are crap, because I'm not the funniest guy in the world, but I try. Uh, but I found that I was writing tweets that were exactly 140 characters long. Yeah. Just autom- my brain was doing it. <laughs> I habitual, could, uh, yeah. habitually just by doing it over and over and over so it made me a much better writer so when yeah, I now write books I'm a much better writer because I do short punchy sentences and I've, I've got control of all my sort of yeah. phraseology and, and when you read your own audiobook I mean you must have done this as a, you know, when you read an yeah. audiobook you suddenly go god which dick wrote this it's yeah. awful there's like, so much stuff you're stumbling here. on it and you're like that's horrible to say and that's too long you th- suddenly realise it's not I think the restrictions can be an amazing thing it's why I kind of I, I, I mourned at the death of Vine, because it yeah. was great that it was such a restriction. Here's how long you've got yeah. to make your punchline, to make your gag, and then it's over. Yeah, we've just done a Horrible Histories uh, episode special about Victorian cinema, because the Victorians invented cinema in 1895, and the BFI gave us all this free stuff wow. that we could use in the episode. An amazing episode, because it was a hybrid episode where we used the original black and white Victorian film in the episode, and then we dressed our actors up as the people in those Victorian films, and yeah. then we intercut between them making the film that you were watching, the Victorian yeah, film yeah, you were watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really exciting, and, and we're super proud of it. But those Victorian films were often 12 to 15 seconds long initially, yeah. and you kind of go, that's mad. But then you go, but Vine was 15 yeah, seconds. that's all you needed. And that's all you needed. You got a gag out of it, you got a joke, or you heard something, and you're like, yeah. okay, now, I've, now I know what you mean. You don't need forces to... forces you to get straight to the point. I, yeah, it really does. And, and I buzz thought... over a tweet that's, that's only half... <laughs> The length that you know that's exciting mm. to me i'm like they've made that gag in 10 words yeah this is amazing this is perfect yeah. well i mean i'll i'll wrap things up now um <laughs> i guess i want to ask uh, uh, what's ahead my my birthday is on august 3rd and my birthday present from my goddaughter this year is that i'm taking her to go and see horrible histories live so that's happening in, in in august and that, how's that kind of how's all of that work the translation to stage and yeah so we're not i'm not involved in that that's a different right. company that's the amazing thing about horrible histories it's a, it's a huge brand and they've got the books which are amazing which i yeah. I'm not, don't work with no the magazines i don't work with i just do the tv show and the movie mm-hmm. but it's fantastic when you hear families going oh i brought my kids out we went to yeah. the stage show and it's amazing I had a great fun time and then we watched the tv show and then i read them the book yeah and then you just go it's it's lovely that there's all these different ways in yeah, this, and they're all the a positive. They're all pushing in the right direction. They're all celebrating. And they're all they're they're all inspiring kids to go out and read books about history, but also just books about other stuff. Yeah. just to go out and so the next thing for me is writing kids books. Yep, that's the next Amazing. big step. Uh, I've had some really exciting meetings the past couple of weeks, and that's that's next in the line. And um, I'm not sure I can tell you this, but I've, I've got a really exciting. I've had a really couple of interesting meetings with Netflix. Right, that's as far as I can go. But yeah. again trying to do stuff for kids that's yeah. different and, and innovative and exciting and on, on, on netflix i think are the uh are some of the masters at the moment of um they're doing amazing of stuff. getting stuff off the ground a sex education was oh, really popular i've only just started watching it but I was, I was talking to a mate 
yesterday who's in the industry and he was like that was with the bbc for ages it was with channel four for ages and no one made it and netflix went oh we will and bang it's this huge thing it's 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 not patronizing anyone it feels yeah uh, yeah really a teen thing that's of its time and they're they're also the thing i love about netflix is they've brought back the rom-com yeah, I really love a rom com. I'm, yeah, I'm hugely yeah, yeah, into comedy, yeah. as you can probably tell. Yeah. You know, I'm a historian, but my passion is comedy. But I love a rom com. I'm yeah. really into it. And and they died in cinemas. They just they went through that phase of Matthew McConaughey sort of sort of yeah. doing his sort of Texan drawl and, and fancying yeah. Kate Hudson. And then you, uh, they just didn't get made anymore. And Netflix have kind of brought them back. And they they've recast uh, before them. the McConaughey. McConaughey as it's as it's as it's as it's known when he suddenly became an Oscar winning. That's actor. it. He went from being kind of the the, the guy who yeah. was handsome to being the guy who could properly act. Everyone was shocked at that, and I was like, "Well, I was a fan of Days and Confused, which he was amazing in. Exactly. Also had Ben Affleck in, who yeah. did exactly the same. Who yeah. did the rubbish rom coms for years, and then started to win Oscars. But it's also like, like Nick Cage. Like Nick Cage is a yeah. sort of a running joke, and yeah. obviously, you know, people love his sort of his crazed facial expressions. Yeah. He's a great actor yeah. when you put him in the right thing. Yeah, completely. And and sometimes he does shows for the money. Sometimes he does films for the you know because it's and, working with an interesting director. But and, and and you'll know as a historian that the 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 love of realism in film is mm. a quite a modern. Uh, yeah. idea in, in in the past like you watch a lot of 50s and 60s films and they are they speak so unusually and all that it's because yeah. the the point wasn't realism it's no. like uh, a lot of people who are against the kind of the, the photo realism style of painting their argument is well photos exist painting yeah. should be doing what photos can't yeah. and similarly that was the idea of film for a long time mm. I, I love Shane Meadows and Steve all, all these oh, people who do this yeah. amazing realistic stuff but equally, I don't think it's worth more or less than the 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 more extreme and unusual, Absolutely. like a Nicolas Cage type. Yeah, 100%. I love a deranged movie that... You know, I, I love... Um it's my favourite ever film is Singing in the Rain. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, it's just a masterpiece in every direction. Like, it's a brilliant comedy. It's a brilliant musical. It's brilliantly made in a technical sense. It's funny. It's charming. Gene Kelly is the greatest. It's a, I've seen it a hundred times. I will watch it a hundred times more. It's incredible. But I also love, like, a proper action movie that knows what it is and does it yeah. properly, where things explode. People yeah. get, you know, Pacific Rim. Yeah. I had a great time watching Pacific yeah, Rim. Yeah, completely. And I'm, you know, probably into the Marvel movies, of course, but I like a sort of stupid action movie the 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 particularly the latter end of the series but the mission impossible films a perfect <gasps> example of that it's incredible yeah they're just these big stupid action films but they're amazing For, i mean fallout is one of the best films i have yeah. seen in the past 10 years yeah it's flawless action film you know it, it's, it's so weird. well directed it's weird there, that it links but that was a film i went to see on my birthday the year that came out, so it's, that was your treat. I, and... I have a I have a history of of going and watching things well, in comfy seats. The horrible history movie is out uh, July twenty sixth, yes. so you can catch it. That's your, perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Also for your birthday, if you fancy a, a yeah. second treat, hundred percent. Uh, and hopefully, we'll get to make loads of them if it if it does well. If you go out and see it and support it, then we can get to. Um, I'm I'm a, a massive advocate of that. I think people are f- because of the accessibility of entertainment people are forgetting the experience of the cinema and it is a different thing and it's not just your big hard-hitting action films it's all films because you you're you're in a dark room mm. with no distractions you're not looking at your phone you're not even just if you don't look at the phone at home you're not looking around the room or hearing a car drive past 
you're in a room where you're just paying 100% attention to what these people have slaved over, and I think it really gives us a different appreciation of yeah, films. Yeah, I so, saw Booksmart last week. Amazing, isn't it? I love that film. Yeah. Absolutely, Absolutely fantastic. Fan- yeah, I'm I loved so it. glad I saw it on a big screen, because it really just it popped. It, I couldn't agree more. I think people have that feeling of, oh, if it's not a huge... Yeah. Uh, all singing, all dancing, CGI. I think I'll just watch it at home. Yeah, stick on I disagree. The I think you take them in in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And and I just remember seeing Phantom Thread a couple of years yeah. ago, and the soundtrack. You know, the the score on that yeah. is so lush and beautiful and cinematic. N- and... Not not being able to look away from his performance in oh, that yeah. adds to the performance so much because it's such just a an awkward and intimate performance, almost that, claustrophobic, yeah. and yet somehow beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. having it there, huge in front of you, and you yeah. can't kind of there's there's yeah. nowhere to glance <laughs> no. away. It's, yeah. it's in your whole screen. Anyway, thank you for, for, very much. Obviously, watch your t- t- Twitter. It's Greg, Greg underscore Jenna. Jenna, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm really easy to find on Twitter. I'm the one with the stupid face and the stupid hair. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, pleasure meeting you. Cheers. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Greg Jenner. I hope you enjoyed that. I thought it was fantastic. Um, God, you know what? You know, I was, I was resistant on um, on moving the, the rambling into the outro, but I feel far more relaxed doing it here because you can just turn it off now and move on to another podcast. I feel like I can have a proper chat with you each week. So what have I been... I did a post on socials this week and it's got the biggest reaction i've ever had and that meant the world to me because it's a really important one so i'm a patron of um stammer there you go on cue of the the british stammering association um and they've put up a load of billboards they're digital billboards in certain places And they have the words, I stammer, but the way the text is, there's room in those words to write stuff. And they've got little quotes written by people who stammer with bits of things that they wish people who didn't stammer knew. Um, I'm going to read a few of them to you. Um, I'm not nervous. It's how I talk. What I have to say is worth waiting for. Don't hang up on me. Please don't finish my sentences. Give me a little more time. Give me just a little more time. Um, all voices are equal. And yeah, it the, it, it was really moving. I, I went and had my photo taken beside all of them. I waited for ages because it's a digital carousel and there's other adverts as well. But um, I did that post and it was really moving that it's the most interaction I've got. Because, I mean, you guys will know I've got a stutter because you listen to the podcast. And I stutter on the podcast and I don't edit it out. But um, a lot of people who are into my music or have seen me acting might not know. I did a second post because this post got a lot of love. But a lot of it was love from people in the film industry who I really rate and want to work with. Um, I'm going through now people like Ed Lilly, Desiree Akavan, Josh Trank, Nat Sanders, just loads of of Tez Ilias. He's a future podcast guest. Johnny Lee Miller. Uh, I'm not going to scroll through all of them. They're the they're the ones that that are jumping out on this first class. Maya Burin, who I need to get on the podcast because she's ace. Yeah. So 
that's not me just name dropping. That's me explaining why I did a follow up post to say, just so you know, when acting, I I, I can normally get the stutter under control. So don't worry about car. I didn't want to. I suddenly I was like, this is so moving, and then I thought, oh man, has this big stance just took myself out of acting roles because they're going to think we can't give it to the guy who can't speak properly. Um, so I did a post saying I can get it under control, but also. Let's start writing some characters who stutter, but the stutter isn't their defining characteristic. Because that's where people make the mistake of inclusion, is when they go inclusion, but the inclusion is the what they are is the defining thing. Um, I had a great chat about this with Angel Jufria, who's got a robot arm. She's She's got a robotic arm, and it's amazing. And she, and she was saying the role that meant the world to her I wasn't one of the many roles she had as a lab, either worker or or patient. It was when she got a role as just a waitress. And she just happens to be a waitress who has a robotic arm. And things like that, that's when it starts to get inclusion and that starts to become worthwhile. So, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, I, I'm not going to ramble. I've already rambled on too much, but it was l- lovely to, to have that and to have that interaction and response from you guys um things i need to tell you about obviously patreon.com slash scroobius pip next week is um next week no the week after is poem of the month day on patreon.com slash scroobius pip it's also new pod bible day so pod bible issue four is it's going to be out and we're going to be handing them out in brighton and london and i'm going to be handing them out in edinburgh so that'll be a week commencing august 5th um so that's exciting Anything else I need to t- tell you about? Huge love came in for the, the, the Connie Huck episode and for my appearance on her podcast, Sw- Switch Off, which is also a, a, a BBC Sounds podcast. See, that's me called. Oh, oh, that's what I need to tell you. I mentioned Patreon. So on Patreon, I always post a photo when I've recorded a new podcast. As this podcast goes out today... I'm meant to be recording a podcast with a guest that I reckon will be the most excited you guys have ever been about me having anyone on the podcast. I think it will probably be one of the biggest episodes at least I've done. Certainly one of the biggest of this year. And I will be posting that either today or tomorrow, hopefully on the Patreon. So genuinely, if you want to just... I mean, it's only a dolly. You can just pop on once and unsubscribe it's a dollar a month it's not much but if you wanted to just jump on once in fact if you wanted to go and look you pay the dollar and then you can listen to all the poem of the months because they're all on there still and all the distraction pieces rewinds and then delete it at the end of the month and you paid a, a, a one dollar for all this stuff but yeah if you're going to ever do that this week's the week because um Got a bit of a guest recorded. It's weird because I was thinking of not putting it on the Patreon because it's not going to be released for a month. And I thought, well, I don't want everyone having all that excitement and then that excitement not being there when it actually comes out because of that, the excitement has died down. But it's just so good that I think the excitement is going to just remain there and maintain. So, yeah. Anyway, I'll stop rambling on. If you enjoyed this episode, go back and check out a really early episode with a guy called Simon Singh. It's a really good, informative and interesting one. The original Dr. Susie Gage episode as well. There are these episodes where it's not necessarily a celebrity, it's an expert. Um, And it's fascinating. 
the Akala episode also. Obviously, Akala is a rapper and all sorts of other things, but the Akala episode, it's... Akala feels like more of a historian in that episode. It's amazing. The dude's so intelligent and so informed and, and well-read. So, yeah, there's some good ones if you miss them. All of them are smaller episodes, numbers-wise. So if you miss them, I recommend you go and, and check them out. But other than that, um, obviously, on a Saturday, I'll be... Oh, that's what I'm... Not, I've hardly promoted this on the podcast at all. And I'm doing it right at the end of a long one as well. So no one's going to hear this. But I've got my club night at the book club. We are Liz's. It happens to be my birthday g- g- gathering as well. It's it's within a week of my birthday, and I'm s- so busy at the moment that I'm not doing anything for my birthday other than this. So come on down, hang out. We've got R- Russell from Block Party DJing, myself DJing, Stu, Chris, DJ Destruction, Disco Tech Credits, the legendary Whiffwick. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good old night. I'll, I'll I'll end it there. You've got plenty. I hope the sound was okay at the beginning. And if you if you were impressed, because believe me, it was you couldn't listen to it originally. So Buddy Peace is an absolute beast. Love to Buddy Peace, but um, yeah. If you're impressed, he's the man to hit up if you've got your own podcast production needs. Um, all right, I'll see you all next week when I'm joined by. Let's have a look at who I'm joined joined by next week. Um. I'll get my little list up. See, if I'm doing this at the end, I can be as long and rambly as I want. Whereas at the beginning, people get annoyed. Next week is the amazing Carriad Lloyd. Now, that's one to get excited about, right? Look at that. Look at me dropping that in casually. It's, yeah, really good conversation. Uh, you're going to enjoy that one. All right. I'll see you all then. Ta-ta.